0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. It's Thursday again, which means another episode of the premier podcast in junior hockey and college hockey from the premier show at junior hockey, college hockey, and beyond. But before I introduce another premier guy who's our guest today, I have to introduce the namesake of the show from whence the show gets its meaning. It's Je Vive. It's Dan K. Dan, welcome.
1: Lucas, I have no clue what Judaviv means, but the guest we have today certainly does. This is a guy who's got some tales to tell, some stories to be yarned along. I guess you yarn a story. It's a yarn, Lucas. Do you yarn a story? Is it like a yarn ball? Do you unravel it? How do you tell a yarn? Lucas?
0: I think I think you spin a yarn.
1: You spin a yarn. Okay. That's why I've got yarn all over my apartment. But I'm going to tell you, Lucas... We've got Dan Bradley, the voice of the Mullets, the van driver of the Mullets, the, the, the coach of the Mullets, the recruiting coordinator of the mullets, everything for the Minnesota Mullets, a team with possibly the best threads in all the hockey world. Mr. Bradley, what's going on?
2: Morning, Dan. Morning, Lucas. How are you guys doing today?
1: Oh, splendid. Just splendid. I'll tell you what, it is not very often that I'm the second best Dan on the Dan K show, but today <laughs> I think I'm going to have to take that side seat there, get to the sidecar because, ladies and gentlemen, this is, a, this is a fun day today. We're going to talk some broadcasting. We're going to talk some Minnesota state of the organization. We're going to talk a little USPHL, some Western expansion coming up for the USPHL. We've got a lot of fun topics to get to. But first, we get to a topic near and dear to Lucas and Maya's heart. That's not a way to say that, Lucas. But you know what? It's my show. I can say it how I want to. Lucas, your beer review it off. What should the folks be drinking at home?
0: Well, so this week I decided to try to go for something that's a little bit of a wider distribution uh, because I'll let you guys in on a little secret. The next two weeks are going to be wild. It's going to be some rare stuff that is going to be a little harder to find. So I said, well, let's go with something a little easier this time. So I went with Magic Hat number 9. You can find this beer almost everywhere. Everywhere I've gone, I've seen it. Magic Hat is a company that makes a pretty wide variety of beers. But the number 9 is uh, it's kind of a little interesting. It's definitely a pale ale, but it's a little dry, but slightly weedy, so it's almost a wheat ale, but then it hits you with just a bunch of fruit. You've got some apricots, a little bit of peach, uh, some tangerine slash orange in there. It's definitely a beer that trends on the fruitier side, a little bit on the maltier side. I really like having a couple of these to start off the night, and it's even better because our Magic Hat puts out a mix pack where you can get 12 to 15 beers of all different kinds. The number nine is included. I like offering this up as a little bit of an appetizer. So I'd give this one probably about a a 7.5 out of 10. Nothing to take away from this beer. It is available everywhere. You can buy it for 10 bucks a six pack. It's the perfect beer to kick things off.
1: I am on the coffee end. And as folks know about Dan K, I've been down in the basement drinking coffee for the last eight hours. Today, I was a little less... uh, Raring to go, let's say. We're taping Sunday morning here, Luke. Acting like I was at the beach and, and quarantined at home, staying safe, drinking my daiquiris. And I got up this morning and I did not feel comfortable operating heavy machinery. So I stayed away from the coffee pot and I jumped into the fridge and got myself the Califia. That sounds fancy, doesn't it? Califia. Califia X Espresso with almond milk, cold brew. And I popped this thing in and I grabbed just a dab just a dab, because you're going to hate this, of chocolate milk. And put a little dab of chocolate milk in it. And I am just living the dream right now. This is, it's delicious. For a cold brew, I'm usually not a sweet guy, usually not a cold brew guy. This is a, this is a situation here where it tastes like you got this thing from a Starbucks or for uh, our guest today, a Caribou coffee. It is legit. I give it a 6.85. 6.85 out of 10. I like a hot coffee better. I am against cold brews. People who drink cold brew in the winter are lunatics. But 6.85 out of 10, this thing has gotten me back ready to go and ready to talk with our guest, Dan Bradley. That is where we start. We go to the free skate. Mr. Bradley, I want to start. You got a lot of tales to tell. I mean, we we met up before. We saw each other in Chicago the showcase. And we got a chance to talk to you a little bit. I think the first place I want to start is you got a little story about learning uh Oh Canada, en français.
2: Yeah, that's funny you should uh, mention the caribou coffee, Dan. That's actually uh, what I'm drinking this morning. So that's uh, what was in the in the hockey mug bit that, uh, that you saw me drinking from earlier here. I'll tell you what, caribou coffee. It's a uh, it's legit. I get out there. I was just
1: out in Minnesota on a work trip. Uh, about, about a month and a half ago now, actually, I've lost track of time in this whole thing, but it, it was a week before everything shut down. It was my last business trip before it all closed down, and I got out there, grabbed myself some caribou, and I'll tell you, you can't go wrong out there in the Midwest, a little caribou coffee, and then you go get your cheese curds going
2: 24-7. Absolutely. That's, uh, you know, any hockey rink that sells cheese curds at their concession stand out here, That's that's a hit. That's my number one go-to when you need a, a quick snack between games especially if you know at a showcase like chicago where you you could be running games three four games a day got to be fueled up have something there and have energy for every call so between caribou and and like you said the cheese curds as well that's that's top notch living right there that's it broadcasters we
1: don't work out, we're not on a, a high fiber diet we're not out here eating salads we don't know what a salad is we're just getting to it and that, that's where we you talk about you got a million things going on, and that's where I, th- I think that story came in when you you learned O Canada en français. I mean, you do it all, Dan. You you, you do the PA, you do the play by play, you you've worked behind the bench. Yeah, I mean, how do you get it all done? What to, first? Let, let me stay on this topic. I want to know sure. O Canada en français. How did that come
2: together? So a couple of years ago, before I had joined the Minnesota Mullets, I was working with. Chris Walby uh, with the Minnesota iron rangers out of Hoyt lakes, Minnesota. And that team competes in the SIJHL Canadian junior circuit team. So at that point, the iron rangers were the only U S side in the league. So before every game, of course, we would have to do both anthems, so Canada and the U S anthem. And uh, the first year doing it, we had, we had a great, uh, great anthem singer, and PA announcer. So I could just stay up in the booth and, and sit back and enjoy that. Um, but in my second year with the team, we needed somebody to take over that role. So I quick learned how to do the uh, the anthem and started out learning it in English, but always wanted to kind of learn it in French and, as well, just in case I needed to tuck that into my back pocket somewhere, would stand at center ice, sing the anthems, and then sprint up to the press box to call the game. And the referees knew that, so they would wait a little longer for puck drop just to make sure I could get back up to the booth, get ready to call the game. Gave me a couple extra seconds to get up there. And uh, by year three, the SIJHL decided to have an all-star game. So they were taking the best players um, from across the league, putting them together into an all-star format, a skills competition, followed by an actual all-star contest. A really, really fun weekend. And the commissioner of the league, Brian Graham, asked me uh, about doing the anthem. He had heard me sing it at Iron Rangers games before, asked if I'd be comfortable singing the U.S. anthem. And I said, yeah, sure, Uh, I can do that for you. And somebody else had wanted to hear it, so I sang the the U.S. anthem for him. And the the friend asked him, well, can you do the uh, the Canadian anthem as well? And I said, sure. So I sang through it, uh, did the Canadian anthem. And then he, he jokingly said, all right, now do it in French. And I went, all right, this is my moment. Stepped up and started singing it in French. The guy's jaw hit the floor. Uh, everybody started laughing about it. And uh, before long, I was singing the anthems for the All-Star Game.
1: Oh, my God. I, I'll tell you what. I took five years of French. Lucas can attest to this. Lucas was in my French classes throughout high school. I I cheated off of Lucas, folks. And to the young folks at home, (laughs) I want to make sure that you know that that is not okay. But I will tell you, my mother looked me in the eyes my freshman year of high school, and she said when she found out I was cheating off Lucas for the entire year and got an A in the class that year without ever learning a a lick of French. And she looked at me and she said, Dan, do you think you're going to be able to copy off Lucas the rest of your life? The answer was yes. The answer was yes. 14 years later – we sit here today, and I am still copying off of Lucas's answers to get by. Lucas, I mean, you saw me try to interview that kid in French once, and it did not
0: go well. Oh my gosh, this, this poor player, Dan goes down to ice level to interview this this player, and he knows that he's French, Canadian, or yeah, he knows he's French. He goes down there and he tries to go and he goes, uh, "Oh, uh, uh, bonjour, je m'appelle Dan, ça va." And this kid's eyes light up like it's Christmas and he starts firing away this entire interview in French. And Dan just like physically had to slink away from the kid because this kid was so excited. He's like, oh my God, this guy speaks French. I get to do an interview in my native language. And Dan just listened and he nodded and he smiled and laughed. And he turned and he goes, thank you so much. Back up to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that is
1: called working on your toes. And that's something, Dan, you do, I know, on a daily basis with the Minnesota Mullets. And and with this Mullet side, I know you've done it all. You've you've, you've driven the bus before. You've, you've been behind the bench. You've, you've helped coach out. You've broadcasted. What's been the best part of working with the Minnesota Mullets organization for you so
2: far? I think the best part of working with the Mullets organization has really been the people between coach, the game day staff, and most importantly, the players as well. Coach does a great job of recruiting not only good hockey players, but good people, guys who want to be part of the organization, guys who want to be involved in the community, uh, guys who are going to have a positive attitude around the locker room, guys who want to spend time with the younger fans in the stands and the the grade school kids who are looking up to them um, whether that's in the form of a a post game skate or a picture session um, about reading to the kids in the schools. Um, And coach Walby really does a good job of giving those players the opportunities to be involved and be engaged with the community as well. Um, Our our game day staff as well. Um, We've got so many phenomenal people. Uh, HP Kells, who you guys, uh, you met both of them at the, uh, the Chicago showcase HP sprinting across the ice. That I'll is still uh, taking pictures.
1: That is still amazing to me. Anybody who, I mean, right now you can get in the hockey TV for free and go back and watch games. You go find a Minnesota Mullets game from that Chicago showcase. And this, this young man, it just caution to the wind. Dan, I, I don't feel comfortable when this, that ice is chewed up at the end of a game, trying to hand out a trophy at a championship game. I don't feel comfortable out there. Then this guy, fresh ice, clean cut, racing across the ice uh, where did that come
2: from well hp is is absolutely fearless he's our equipment manager with the team he uh, drives the vans as well does all sorts of stuff behind the scenes for the team um and really just a great guy he's he's my uh, my best friend the uh, lucas and dan what you guys are that's that's me and hp out here um and hp has always been uh, an athlete um played ultimate frisbee for a long time he and i play on a broomball team together out here in the winter Um, so when we're not on the road with the mullets, we're, we're out on the ice and we're playing broom ball and, and he just absolutely loves it. He'll, he'll sprint across the ice. If there's a clean sheet out there, he's skating, he's running, he's doing whatever. He's just happy to be out there and be moving. I love it. And Lucas, I know when
1: we found out about ultimate Frisbee, when we were out in Chicago, you, you put me on the spot. I have. I've not had a good track record with my my thoughts on Ultimate Frisbee, but I, I think our conversation with Dan and HP out in Chicago changed my mind a little bit, uh, <laughs> gave me a fresh perspective on it. And to the Ultimate Frisbee community, as well as Joey Fatone, I, I give my apologies.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting because I don't know where we got onto this conversation, but I think I ended up, because I, I have been an Ultimate Frisbee referee. Um, and add that to another list of my weird jobs I've had throughout my life. And, uh, those guys are some of the craziest athletes I've ever seen in my life. These are guys who are like flying through the air. I I saw a man and I, I swear to this day, he jumped from the 15 yard line, caught the frisbee and landed in the end zone. I will, I would put money on that right now from now until the end of time. Yeah,
2: those guys are just some of the most insane athletes and, the endurance to be running as long as they are, the quick cuts, the vertical ability, strength to throw it on the field. I mean, those those guys are nuts, and they absolutely love it. It's it's really a cult sport, um, to use that particular phrase. Uh, frisbee players are are nuts, without a doubt about that.
0: You're listening to the Dan K. Show podcast. To find out more about the Dan K. Show, go to com or Go to at the underscore Dan K show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's www.dank show.com or at the underscore Dan K show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
1: Now we talked about great athletes. Now we want to talk with a great broadcaster. Our guest, Dan Bradley of the Minnesota Mullets, joins us for questions. Lucas, why don't you start things off?
0: Yeah, so, uh, you know, this season. I think was an interesting one for a lot of teams in the USPHL, Um, you know, especially in your division, the Midwest West, for those of you who don't follow, you know, as closely as, as we all do, the Midwest West division in the USPHL is one of the hardest divisions as people who try to predict outcomes to deal with, because you got teams who are just beating everybody out there all the time. There's never a week where there isn't some kind of upset. There's never a month where some team doesn't surge and I think for, for the back half of that season, the Minnesota Mults were really making a case for themselves as one of the strongest teams in the league. Uh, so from, from your perspective, obviously, you know, being up close and personal with the team, what changed? I mean, what, what sort of flipped the switch on come, I think it was middle of January, end of January?
2: Yeah, middle, middle of January, um, the, the team had really been rolling coming out of the the Chicago and the Boston showcases. I think they had a 6-2 and two record between those two showcases. Uh, a shutout win over Islanders Hockey Club. Things were really rolling. Uh, but then we did have a, a couple of injuries down the stretch that really uh, started to take a toll on the team. Um, and when you get back to playing Midwest, West hockey, and everybody is really dogfighting for those points at the end of the year, um, you know, between the the Mullets, the Blue Ox, the Mallards, the Moose, uh, everybody was really clawing and scratching for positions three through six to get into the playoffs. And it really, um, the, the Mullets ended up getting bounced in the first round against a very good Moose team. Um, the the Blue Ox are always a tough out as well. Wisconsin Rapids really had an excellent season. The Hudson Havoc were rolling heading into Boston. It it really, as you guys touched on, it, the Midwest West this year I think even more so than the last two years was really one of the top divisions, if if not just in the USPHL but perhaps across all of of junior hockey. It really is so competitive from top to bottom, and any anybody can be beat on any given night. Anybody can turn the switch and a, a goaltender gets hot or somebody starts scoring a bunch of goals. Um, so it really, I, I think the, the toll of that season as it carried on in such a physical division as well, uh, really kind of slowed things down a little bit down the stretch and the, the, teams that were able to weather that storm, you saw a rise to the top and, uh, the, the mullets, they, they had a really good season, Um, had I think 15 age outs this year. It was a a really veteran group and really tough to see those guys, uh, have the season end the way that it did.
1: And watching, watching the way that that division played out this year, as you said, this mullet side that you guys put together this year, it was about net minding and it was skill. It was tape to tape. It was, it was tactical hockey. The puck moved quickly. And like you said, that, that that grinding style out there in the midwest it is tough to stay on it every single day and it was tough for every team you saw a team like the Wisconsin Rapids River Kings that and they didn't even make it out of the playoffs into the nationals either and and i mean right before this right before covid-19 started lucas and i were looking and i only had 3 teams in mind that i thought could win a national title this year in the premier one, the two were, see Charlotte and Hampton Roads, just because they're, they're always in the running. And the last one was the Minnesota Moose. And I thought if the Minnesota Moose beat the Metro Jets before this all stopped, I, I thought the Moose might have been the best team in the country. And, and that was a team that couldn't even get to the top of the standings. They couldn't get to the top of the table out there in that Midwest-West. There was a time this year that they were not even going to have a home series in the first round of the playoffs, and they might have been the best team in the country come playoff time.
2: Absolutely. The the Midwest teams like like we said, when you get to playing your best hockey, if you can hit that stride in, in January and February and into March, that'll carry you through to Boston. And the Moose, uh, I, I don't have their record information in front of me right now, but they really had a long winning streak. They they came surging up. I think they were um, fifth or sixth coming out of Boston in the showcase. They were they were right in that middle cluster of teams and really Turned it on down the stretch. They they beat the mullets. Uh, I think four times, uh, twice in February, and then uh, into the playoffs as well, um, sweeping the mullets down the stretch, um, and really battling back to get into that, uh, getting to that number three seed, which, um, like like we had talked about, three three through seven could have been anybody's uh, anybody's game this year. Um, everybody at one point was as high as two or three. Everybody was as low as six or seven. Um, and like you said, the Moose really rolling into Boston. Uh, Maxie Hasselbacher playing really well down the stretch as well, carrying them. Uh, you get a hot goalie. They, they played really well. Hudson, I think as well, had a really solid season. Uh, Cal Ambrose and Net leading the way for the havoc, another really veteran group that's been with uh, coach Brett wall for a few years. And, I my heart goes out to all those teams that were in Boston this year, ready to play. The uh, the Moose, as you touched on, they won their first game out in Boston. Uh, the Hudson Havoc were on the ice for warmups when they decided they had to cancel and shut everything down. And and really tough for not only for those teams, but especially for the veteran players and those who are aging out this year, um, to not have that chance to get to play it out. Um, and, and obviously the, the circumstances are beyond anyone's control. And I, I, I think it was ultimately the, the right decision was made to pull the plug. Um, but really, in a lot of ways, wondering what, what could have been. And really, you know, my, my heart goes out to those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's just so tough, and it's one of the things that I think you saw from from every team when that decision was made. Just the the pictures and the messages that came out, and you know, we talked to Jim Henkel in week one of the podcast, and he said having to walk into that locker room and just tell everybody, you know this this is it. This is this is not going to go on the way that we thought it was. Is, has got to be heartbreaking, you know. But we, uh, you know, want to talk a little bit about a couple of those age outs and. And I think one of the things that that we saw consistently from the Mullets this year especially in the back half of the season was the strength of the goaltending. Um and the the goaltending even when I was out there in person and and saw some of the goaltending that you guys had it was just incredible. Uh so talk if you could about about some of the goaltenders you had this year and and where they're off to next.
2: Yeah, our uh, our starting goaltender for most of the year was uh, was Jack Bosted. He played I think 37 of our 44. This year, Um, he ages out this year, and he is the uh, USPHL premier all-time leader in a bunch of categories, games played, wins, saves, save percentage, he's top 10, goals against average, he's top 10, Uh, total number of saves, he's top 10. Uh, This year alone, he had more saves than any other USPHL premier goalie had shots, which just blows my mind that, that he was seeing that many pucks and consistently turning them aside. Um, really one of the the top goaltenders that, uh, the USPHL premier has had. Um, he is heading off to the college of St. Scholastica in Duluth, um, has a good chance at, at taking over that starting role right away, coming in as a freshman as well. Um, and, and Jack was really, um, when we talked earlier about the the great people that coach Walby brings into the program, Jack, Jack was always someone who in the locker room. And when you, when you come to the rink, he's always got a smile on his face. Uh, when we were out in Boston, he, uh, he had never really been a coffee drinker. <laughs> we ended up in a game where uh, we were playing the Islanders hockey club and that game was supposed to start at like eight o'clock. And because of how late showcase schedules run, we, we didn't end up dropping the puck until close to 9.30. Uh, so we're all getting antsy waiting for a game. And Bostad goes, Dan, do you think I should get a cup of coffee before the game? I said, do you, do you think you need it? And he goes, well, I've, I've never drank coffee before. So was able to get him a cup of coffee, put that together before the game. And then he goes out there and, and gets a shutout. So... <laughs> You know what? Whatever works, Jack. Keep drinking coffee before the game, my man. That's that's a new uh, new ritual for sure. <laughs>
1: hey, there you go. We we have to have him on for a coffee review now. After that,
2: absolutely. Yeah, I, I hope he's listening to your coffee reviews and, and starting to find more coffees that he likes. Figuring out what works before the game.
1: Oh man, that is that is absolutely incredible. We watched Jack a few times, and you you bring up those shot totals and. You know, I, I talked about the style that the mullets play out there, and Coach Walby. I mean, he, sometimes when I watch you guys, I feel like Elaine Vigneau's behind the bench. He's, he's got that kind of openness to it. You guys, you guys allow your goaltender the sight line on the defensive end to make the stops. You put a lot on the back of the goaltender. You, that's why that shot total so high, right? And why he had so many saves this year. It's it's that strategy of allowing the netminder to see the puck. It's an open style of hockey that you guys play in Minnesota up there. That really would translate well. I mean, you guys sometimes look more like comparable to the Southeast and Florida division in the Premier than you do to some of the teams you play in the Midwest. And I think that that's something that as the years go on here and this program continues to grow, I really think that's going to set you guys apart and and make you guys a title contender year after year.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing was the mullets this year knew that if if Jack could see a stop, if, if he could see the shot, he would have a chance to stop it. And the team really trusted him to be in a position to make those saves. So it was more important to get in the way of passing lanes and let Jack see a shot than it was to you know be constantly laying down and blocking pucks. That's not to say that we didn't do a good job of that as well. You have guys like, uh, like Morgan Sweeney, Blake Gutterman, guys who are going to throw themselves in the way of a shot uh, late in the game, early in a game. It doesn't matter. Sebastian Frank as well, another guy who just eats pucks. Um, but at the same time, it's more about clearing out those those traffic lanes, being able to get Jack to to put a rebound into the corner, take control and start your breakout right there. Um, and, and stylistically, yeah, Elaine Bigneault is a great, great example of that as well. Um, and when you have a goaltender like Henrik Lundqvist, for example, that kind of makes things uh, a little easier there as well. Oh yeah, uh, same
1: thing with Carter Hart. Now, I mean, you, you just kind of you let the guy do the job, right? If you if you got a guy like that in the pads, let him play.
2: Absolutely. So it it really comes down to trusting your goaltender, trusting your systems, and knowing that that's going to work out. If you if you buy into the system and and play the game the way you're coached to do it, things are going to be just fine. And and we saw that when the mullets were playing well this year, that was a big part of the reason why. And
1: now I. A little rumor here, you know, Frank Sinatra was apparently on the ice for the Mullets this year. Uh, could you tell the tell the folks at home a little bit about Frank and, and how uh, old Blue Eyes played for the uh, the Minnesota Mullets this year? Well,
2: yeah, the, the Mullets have been really lucky the, the last two years. A, a pair of defensemen in Sebastian Frank and Nico Sinatra. Uh, I know both of those guys are, are aging out this year, but they've both been uh, as, as consistent as you can get on the back end for the Mullets. And actually, uh, Nico Sinatra's younger brother is going to be joining the team next year. So after uh, Coach Walby had coached two Franks in uh, Austin Frank and Sebastian Frank, now he's coaching two Sinatras in uh, Nico and Alex Sinatra as well. So Sinatra will be coming in as a forward next year. Um, and and the, the the picture you get the two jerseys standing next to each other to have Frank Sinatra on a jersey. I mean that's that's just a pretty cool. Uh, coincidence to have and and we definitely uh have enjoyed both of those guys here in minnesota I'll tell you what that you're gonna have the best if
1: there's ever in usphl american idol you guys got the best team to have it right now you guys are gonna be winning that shoe check every time with frank Sinatra on the uh on the croon there now doing the, it our way <laughs> <laughs> oh I love it so dan now i want to get into you a little bit here obviously we've talked the mullets we've talked through some of this we we know how the end of the year went. We're broadcasters, Dan. We, we're, you can hear from your voice, the professionalism of your the voice, man. I, I've heard it. I've, I've heard your vocal warm-up. It's incredible. It's insane. Can you, can you tell us where you're at right now in all this? Obviously, the players are not playing, so there's nothing for us to broadcast. What are you up to,
2: Dan? Well, I think one of the big things now has been taking the time to go back and listen to older broadcasts to see, okay, what things did I do that... I like, or, you know, everybody has a call that kind of sticks with them that, Oh, that was terrible. Why did, why did I say that? That doesn't make sense. Going through and and evaluating, okay, how can I take what is working well and enhance it? What can I do to mitigate those other things? How can I put this together into a good broadcast demo that shows the best of what I can do? How can I continue to be practicing going forward? Um, One of the big ones lately has actually been, um, I've got some friends that I'll play NHL 20 with will we'll hop on the sticks and I'll just do play by play and whether they want to listen to me or not, that's their own business. And some of them love it. Some of them not as much, but uh, it's it's a good way to get practice in and, and keep the repetitions going from a play by play and broadcast standpoint. Um, additionally, pouring over stats, uh, looking over hockey writing as well and trying to think, okay, what are some things that I could incorporate how can I be communicating a broadcast in the best way to a listening audience? One of the things that we don't necessarily get as broadcasters is that immediate feedback of things an audience liked that worked really well. Things that you know you don't necessarily know who's listening. It could be a, a diehard hockey fan who's been watching games for thirty years or more. It could be a game uh, somebody who's listening to their first game. So how do I, as a broadcaster? be able to appeal to both of those audiences and be telling things in a simple enough way that they're understood, giving the inside story of the game. So really kind of trying to break down the same way a hockey player would break down film on their game. I'm trying to do that same sort of thing from a broadcast standpoint.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting as you know, you, you talk about some people, you get the immediate feedback, right. And and I feel like we try to do it and, and you do it as well. And, Everybody wants to be able to improve what they're doing. And as broadcasters, it's so important because our product is being delivered directly and unfiltered to people who are listening. So there isn't really a chance to to fix it on the fly all the time. So when you get that opportunity, it's great. But I, I guess one of my in, things that I'm interested to hear from you is how has your broadcasting sort of got improved or changed over the years? Have there things that you've you know, when you started out doing this, that you were doing one way and then over time you've realized, hey, maybe I should switch it to this or, you know, how does one improve at being a broadcaster?
2: That's a great question, Lucas. I think one of the biggest things for me was when I started out with the mullets, uh, Joe Moore was actually the play-by-play broadcaster and I was jumping in to do color commentary. So that totally shifted my mindset from... Play by play, calling the game exactly as it's happening, what you're seeing, what the crowd is feeling, what's going on in front of you. And from a color commentary standpoint, when you have to switch out of that mindset and start looking for those things that are happening behind the play, looking at things like the line changes, looking at how the defense is communicating with each other, looking at how the team is cycling the puck through the zone, and seeing those types of things that you don't necessarily get to understand. Um, I've been reading a lot of hockey books to better understand systems and breakouts and power play strategies and different set plays that you can run, kind of trying to get inside a coach's mind almost to try and figure out what sorts of things are they doing that I might be able to anticipate in a broadcast so that I can work that in as well. It started out from a broadcast standpoint my first couple years. A lot of it was kind of reactionary and very straightforward as to what's going on in that moment and for the first four years of doing it had no second partner in the booth Um, late into the fourth year our camera guy Giles Wenteck with the Iron Rangers uh, he would jump on the call as well to do some color commentary and that that kind of opened things up to having that channel Um, similar to what you and uh, what Lucas and Dan will do where Uh, Dan usually does play-by-play, Lucas usually does color, but every once in a while, they'll flip that up as well. It it just kind of changes your thought process and how you analyze the game. Looking at things in that different way really helps refine things as a broadcaster. So uh, looking at old broadcasts that you've done and thinking, okay, how can I provide color here? If I was to provide color commentary, what would I say? What am I seeing? Those types of things really will help refine your craft, and I'm not an expert at it by any means. Uh, I've been doing it for seven years, um, closing in on 200 hockey games called, and absolutely love it. But I'm still learning things every day and and trying to make each broadcast better than the one I did before.
1: And, and that's, I mean, for the broadcasters who are watching along with us, you know, I get I get messages from a lot of younger guys who are trying to make it in broadcasting. There's a lot of college students from my alma mater, there that that are trying to find out how do I become better? How do I become a better broadcaster without broadcasting a game? All those types of things, and these are the Dan Bradleys of the world. I mean, this is the type of work you have to put in, ladies and gentlemen at home, trying to get into that broadcasting world. And uh, one big thing that I suggest to everybody: if you're trying to be a play-by-play guy or girl. You need to get on the color commentator side once in a while because if you don't understand. If I don't understand what Lucas is going through and what I'm setting him up for, it isn't a fair share and it's not a fair broadcast. And that's what, Dan, you talked about and alluded to it. The idea of that ability to switch, the ability for Lucas to understand what is going on on my side of the broadcast and me to understand what's going on in his side of the broadcast. Lucas, you've seen it before. I won't mention names, but we've gotten on broadcasts, and there have been people who have showed up with steel toe boots trying to stomp all over everything because they don't understand how to share the space. And it's so important. It's, look, the one-man booth is difficult. It is difficult because it really you're every minute, right? And I think the only person who ever perfected a one-man booth was Vin Scully. I, I don't think there's going anybody Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you look at what he did and, and he would sit up there with the, the program and <laughs> read the program when it was 11 nothing Dodgers winning. And you have a two man booth or a three man booth and you are trying to share that space. There has to be an understanding. And and that is something that folks like yourself, Dan, the, the work you put in, the, the understanding, the, the overtime that's going into it, the time that's spent off the broadcast, that's what makes you a professional. And Lucas, you know, we, every once in a while you get the mouth of the South, you know what I mean? And they come in, they, they stop on your, your call, but we, we, we do our best to really, really share that space. And and it's something that I think it's so fun working with you, Lucas.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's been, I think, really interesting too, because you, you know, we have switched on occasion or when I've needed to start a game uh, and Dan's had to jump in later. Um, And I think one of the things that Dan and I have had a lot of conversations about, and you know, Dan, you can, uh, you can definitely talk about this as well as, is how to not just perf- not just try to get better at broadcasting but with that direction because obviously every single year in junior and college hockey the we we always get older but these kids are still 16 17 18 so we're always trying to put our broadcasting towards the next generation towards the younger guys and they don't want the same kind of broadcasting as some of the parents had or some of the grandparents had they want more of the personality they want to know who's on the on the call and you know with two guys named dan i can't throw it to dan but uh dan bradley um you know you you have a, a much closer repertoire with the the players on your team and you get these new guys in every single year do you feel like there's pressure to adapt what you do towards this new Bar stool generation where everybody's got their own personality. do you feel something pulling you back towards that older school older style broadcasting? Where's that balance?
2: yeah that's a that's a great question. I think the the biggest thing is the players are going to be watching it in a film session and the player or the the people who are watching it live are the parents, the families the uh, the fans of the team who aren't able to make the trip so you really do have to ride that balance of keeping guy, keeping the players interested when they're in those film sessions but also being able to appeal to the parents and the fans as well um i think this last year um i i got to call a game with you guys and we were doing interviews between the benches and a, a three-person broadcast unit and and that alone was challenging in a good way like we just talked about with making you think things through differently and not stepping on each other and how do we set each other up for calls as well um even there from a broadcast standpoint i learned more from that game than from any other individual game all season from a broadcast perspective uh but you're right you you do kind of have to change things up so you might make a reference at some point to Um, something that the players might only get somewhere uh, a a nickname for a player. And and then you kind of go back and explain that for uh, the parents who don't necessarily know what you're talking about. The boys, of course, all know it at that point, but the parents might not. Or making a reference to Frank Sinatra, how many junior hockey players have taken the time? How many of them could name five Frank Sinatra songs off the top of their head right now, if you asked them to maybe not, I, I don't even want to try and take a guess on on the number there. I, yeah, I would hope that they would. would.
1: <laughs> we found we found out that Finding Nemo was a reference that some of these guys didn't get. We were doing oh we were doing a uh, 16u game, and I made a Finding Nemo reference. They had a, a player on the ice with the last name Nemo, and Lucas looks at me and goes, Dan, I think I think Nemo came out before these kids were born we looked into it on the broadcast and i was heartbroken to find out just how old i really am at this point.
2: yeah that's, that's always tough you want to make a reference and even something that can be you know 10 15 20 years ago is suddenly too dated of a, a reference to be making so but really kind of ju- choosing to pick your moments on when to make those kind of references as well is something that i'm always thinking about and okay how can i be uh, incorporating this and uh, when you guys touched on the the vocal warm-up earlier i try and do fast rapping to try and and get my get my brain going get the tongue going get the mouth going get the voice going and in some ways there's some similarities between a broadcast and a freestyle rap where you're putting these concepts together and trying to make everything flow as a as a unit, you don't get a chance to stop and pause and think about what you're going to say before you say it. A lot of the time, you just have to go very off the cuff and just go. So from time to time, I'll be thinking about, okay, if I was to say this, how could I set that up into something else? That's going to phrase. Well, uh, doing the same thing with those, those references and broadcast sentence structure, if that makes sense. I don't know that I'm describing it very well. Um, but those, those are the types of things that I think kind of can can stretch you in creative ways to have a more enjoyable call as well for everybody to be listening to.
1: And, and I love that you say that. I mean, I remember going through my earliest years when I was broadcasting in high school. And I remember having fun freestyle raps that I would I would rap just to kind of keep my brain going before. Lucas has seen me in a car. He can attest to this. I'll make up musicals in the car. I'll sing just to kind of get my brain going on the way up. I used to sing, uh, I saw your video, Dan, which was incredible. And it reminded, I used to sing Jason Mraz's Dynamo of Volition. For folks, you you look that up, you you try to say that 10 times fast, you're going to lose your mind. And it'd be the same thing, right? It's getting the brain ready to work faster than your mouth. You cannot hit those ums in a broadcast. You cannot hit those pauses. And in the game of hockey, it does not slow down for you at any point.
2: Not at all. When I was uh, going to school, I went to Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois, uh, for a sports communication degree. And my senior year, I had been broadcasting games for the Peoria Mustangs, an NA3HL team. And my senior year, I was taking one of those broadcast classes with the Bradley Braves basketball play-by-play man, Dave Snell. And part of the challenge of that class as well was I've been doing hockey where it's fast. Yep. The game moves at such a crazy speed compared to other sports. Whereas with baseball or football, for example, there's downtimes between plays. You have to be able to fill that broadcast as well. So I'm used to doing play by play and then having to scale it back and fill in all this time. Whereas in hockey, there's, there's always a play going on and football, you'll have a five second play and then 35 seconds of huddling up and breaking down the previous play and what they might go with next that was such a huge challenge as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and people don't realize, I mean, Lucas and I, we went through the task earlier this year to kind of look into everything we have broadcast. And when I tell you we have broadcasted just about anything that can be broadcasted, we've done cross country, we did a cheerleading competition, we've done swimming events, we have done baseball, basketball, football. And when you start to see how every every single sport Every single event has its own ebb and flow. It has its own rhythm, and it's it's having that metronome in your head that sticks with the pace of what you're broadcasting. And it's why in the game of hockey, I just, from my point of view, I think the bigger the better. And Dan, when I listen to you and I listen to your booming voice on a broadcast, that's bigger and better. When when I get on the broadcast, I, I'm not somebody who's who's blessed with the say the. The Vin Scully
2: voice or the, the Howard. Coast we South. all wish we could be Vin Scully, Dan. We all yeah. wish we could be Vin Scully. And with that question, I, I want to ask this. Who is, who would you say is your
1: Mount Rushmore of broadcasters? Uh, this is a tough oh, one wow. just off the top of my head. Who in your mind, when you think about broadcasters, I'll give you a second. Hmm. Mine would probably be Howard Coast South. Marv Albert, yes. I would have, uh, let's see, who else would I have in there? Harry Callis, the, the old uh, Phillies broadcaster that's a deep drive the left center field out of here home run and then finally lucas i think you know where the next one's going it's awesome baby thinking me's gonna be the fourth head on that mountain baby it's me it's a he's a super scintillating sensational so what would be your four right there as you can kind of see my my influences are all a little loony a little a uh, little crazy i know marv albert had his moments who's dan bradley's top four
2: that's wow. That's a really, really good question. And it's, it's tough because there's so many. I, I love sports just in general. Hockey is number one, but uh, actually grew up wanting to do either baseball or football broadcasting. And it wasn't until I got to college that I knew hockey was really where I wanted to go. So I was looking up to guys like Vin Scully, who, who could do it all themselves and spin a great story during the game and fill time. It was always so fascinating to listen to him. Uh, Minnesota Vikings play-by-play guy Paul Allen who you know he's he's a homer he loves the team and that's kind of the great thing about junior hockey broadcasting as well as we as broadcasters get to be fans of the team i know we're supposed to you know kind of keep it impartial and and that's something i really try to do as well but you're a fan of the team you're a fan of the kids you want to see them succeed you want to see the team succeed so from that standpoint a guy like Paul Allen who is just all energy all the time um it's another one who's great to listen to uh kevin harlan uh listening to him call any broadcast whatsoever the the guy could read the phone book and i would sit and listen to it kevin harlan is just so he's such a good broadcaster Um, listen to his call of when a, a, a drunk fan runs out onto the field at some point and uh he's He's to the 40. He's to the 50. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. He's, he's off, and he's doing play-by-play for a drunken idiot running out onto the field. Kevin Harlan is just one of the, the best to do it. And I, I think for number four, oh man, this is tough. I, I think I'm going to go with Doc Emmerich as well. From a hockey
1: standpoint. He's the greatest of all time, Dan.
2: He's, he's the greatest Doc of all time at anything. With, without a doubt, absolutely love Doc Emmerich. And, and he's another one who... I, I feel like you could put Doc in any sport, and he would find a way to make it relatable. He would find a way to make it entertaining, whether he's doing the broadcast solo, whether he's doing it with Eddie O. Uh, however, he's got that that broadcast set up. Doc Emmerich as well, one of the best in any sport to do it. I'll tell you, two
1: years ago or three years ago now, at MLB Network, we had Doc on with Bob Costas doing a Pittsburgh Pirates game, and it was... wow. It was beautiful, man. The the two of them going back and forth and telling stories and sharing tales and the careers those two guys have had. It was a once in a lifetime experience. He is he is also one of the nicest people in the game, man. I I bumped into him at an airport in Pittsburgh after the Stadium Series outdoor game between the Penguins and the Capitals a couple years back, and I was exhausted. It was five a.m. and I order my coffee and I hear him over my shoulder. I hear the I hear the voice and I just hear. He was on. I'd take a coffee with cream, and I would just turn, and i go, Doc, and he couldn't have been more happy to say hello to me, shake my hand, wished me a good day. I didn't want to – I'm like, I'm sorry to bother you at 5 a.m. There's two people in the airport. He is a hero, I think, to anybody who's trying to get into the hockey broadcasting game, and if you've not taken time to listen, the broadcasters at home that are listening with us today, if you've not taken time to really sit down and dissect some of the work that man does – you are missing out and you are not ready to take that next step. He is a must look.
2: Well, that's well, a that thing any, any young broadcaster or someone who's looking to get into the broadcast industry can be doing at home is we always want to listen to our local broadcast and hear the, the hometown call, but taking the opportunity to listen to what the away broadcasters are saying and listen to how they call the game different than what you're used to hearing as well. Is another great tool to to have in your arsenal, and and now that uh, things across the country are kind of shut down a little more, everybody's a little more laid back and has more time on their hands. If you're a broadcaster, I highly, highly encourage you to find the time to do something like that as well, where yep. you can be listening to those other calls. And um, there's YouTube videos of you know top ten goal calls of all time, or or top ten hockey moments of all time, or regardless of the sport um, top 10 baseball bloopers of all time and be listening to how are these broadcasters able to incorporate all of that into their call and finding out like, like we talked about earlier, what you like, what you don't like, what works, what doesn't, and how can you incorporate that into your call going forward as well? Listen to guys like Doc Emmerich, without a doubt, uh, Doc Emmerich, Kevin Harlan, uh, Vin, Vin Scully, without a doubt, Vin Scully. Uh, Mike
1: Breen, too, in the NBA.
2: Bang! Like, mm-hmm.
1: When the three-pointers hit, man, that is, it is, there's nothing else in the game. That changed basketball, that call.
2: Yeah, and and another thing that has stuck with me through these years, from seven years of doing play-by-play and from college as well, is don't get caught up in making the call your own. Don't focus on having a catchphrase or something like that to make it your call. It's still going to be your call of the game no matter what, but I never want the broadcast to be about me. It's about what the team is doing on the ice. It's about the fans listening at home, and all of them are way more important to the broadcast than what I'm doing. I'm just the voice who gets to say what's going on, and if I can make it entertaining and engaging and something that they want to listen to, I'm comfortable knowing that I did my job with that and leave the rest of it up to the players and the coaches and then the fans to enjoy.
1: I, I love it. And and we're about to throw to Lucas here with his educational corner. Get yourself stretched out, Lucas, get your brain ready. We've got to make sure we're teaching the kids something during this break. But before it, we, well, as I close this conversation out, I mean, the, the big thing, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm putting in the work. I'm watching tape right now. I, I'm really paying attention to what's going on and, and honing my craft, but you can hear the people who actually do when you, when you, say, oh yeah, I love when Kevin Harlan, you can paint the tail like Kevin Harlan. It's just, that's what happens. If you're, if you're paying attention, use your influences. You know, I like to think of myself as like a, if Dick Vitale got on a mic to do play by play, mixed himself up with like Vern Lundquist, Mike Breen, you just try to, you try to cobble together your own self view out of it. Obviously there's influences, but like you said, Dan, you can't be a shtick. You can't be and then this is coming from a guy who wears bow ties that light up and blink. But you have to be you when you get on a broadcast. When you get behind a mic, if you're not you, if you're not genuine, especially with the young viewer now, these these skaters, these players, these young fans who are getting into sports, they don't want to hear the old school anymore. They don't want the person who's just painting a picture. They want it all. They want to know who you are. Like said, they want that veil to be taken down, and they want to be a part of the experience. It's why one of the top viewed things in the world right now is folks playing video games or folks watching videos. People like to watch people watch things. No one watches the video anymore. You watch the video. You watch someone play the game, and it is a new consumer. It's a new world. And that's something that I know the three of us, when we got a chance to work together, Dan in Chicago, I mean, it's you can tell the three of us are on the same page with it mentally. And that's why we wanted to have you on today. And don't go anywhere. We're going to have your parting words soon. But before that, we go to Lucas Jones with the Educational coin.
0: You're listening to The Dan K Show Presents Junior Hockey. If you like this podcast and want to support it, go to anchor.fm backslash dks-hockey backslash support and make a small monthly donation. Everything you give helps this podcast become more successful and continue to be a utility for players, parents, and coaches all across junior and college hockey. Thanks, Dan. The word of the day for this educational corner is the word optional. Now, as we know, optional means that you don't have to do a thing. But as we hear from you know, across junior hockey teams, when you have optional skates, well, it's not really optional, is it? It's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to better yourself outside of the normal routine. And a lot of what happens to do with college uh, admissions and what happens with standardized testing, some of it's centered around the word optional. Schools will have ACT-SAT optional, SAT-ACT essays optional, transcripts optional, volunteering optional. These things are not really optional. So for any hockey player right now who is preparing to move on to the next level, who's looking at college as the next step, and you're seeing test optional, essay optional, volunteering optional, take that as a challenge. Take that as an opportunity to say to yourself, let me see if I can cross off those optional things. Because the worst thing would be to have all your schools lined up, all of your optionals not taken and then to find your dream school only to realize that optional is now required. So for this educational corner my words of advice are don't treat optional like optional treat it as an additional requirement and an additional opportunity for you to succeed.
1: Love it man and you guys got to you got to realize Lucas is somebody who's been in the academic world and you know you he practices what he preaches. I got a chance to watch Lucas go through schooling through high school and I'll tell you, what, without Lucas there, I might not have made it through high school. And, and this is uh, it's, these are lessons each week that you're going to get on this podcast that are go beyond the ice, right? And, and junior hockey goes beyond the ice. It's, it's important to remember that being a good hockey player at this age, at this level, being a good hockey player as a mite, as a midget, as, as a junior hockey player, is not just putting the skates on and playing well. It's getting off the ice and putting in the work in the classroom, putting in the extra work at home, cracking open a book once in a while instead of cracking open the Fortnite. Patrick Lyonet, that was not an attack at you, but we get into it. We <laughs> What a great podcast today. This is, Lucas, I think my favorite one so far. We really got a chance to dive into something I know we're all passionate about, the world of broadcasting. Talked Minnesota Mullets. Talked it all. Dan. Before I go to your parting words, I want to give you one chance here to just tell the players at home, the parents at home, why the Minnesota Mullets? Why play for the Minnesota Mullets?
2: Minnesota Mullets. Great team, great coach, great city, great division, great league. I think that right there sums up everything that you need to know about the Mullets program. Everybody that is in the building is going to be encouraging you to be their best, you're going to be surrounded by people who are positive and passionate about the team, about this league, about the game of hockey as a whole. And to give that, to give someone that kind of opportunity to set themselves up for success, we're always looking to bring in people to the organization who have that similar mindset. If you're somebody who is really passionate about the game of hockey, looking to take your game to the next level, Minnesota Mullets, let's make it happen.
1: Man, this guy, Lucas, we're going to have to hire him to start advertising for us. That was, <laughs> that was solid. <laughs> I yeah I right? signed up. I, I went onto the website and signed up while we were talking. Make sure to check out the Minnesota Mullets, folks. Make sure to check out Dan Bradley's work, Hockey TV, free accounts right now. You can go back and watch that broadcast with Dan K., Lucas Jones, and Mr. Dan Bradley. And Lucas, I look to you. It's been a great show. I'm sure you've got a lot to say as your parting words Let the folks know how you're feeling. That silence can only mean he is completely done with today's show and over talking to me. He gets another week off of that, but he's going to have to listen to my voice when he edits this. Dan Bradley, your parting words.
2: Uh, Dan and Lucas, I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on this morning to everybody listening at home. Be safe. Be well. We're going to get through this COVID thing together. It stinks to not have sports right now. It stinks to not have hockey right now. But if we stay at home, if we do those little things right, the same way we talked about with doing little things to get your hockey game better, doing little things to get your broadcast call better, that's the same way we're going to be able to beat COVID, is doing those little things right. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. But if we do those little things, we're going to get through it together. We're going to get through it whole. And things will be back to whatever our new normal is sooner rather than later. So I'll sign off by saying, stay healthy, take care of each other, be well.
1: Love it, man. And, and on my end, I'd say my parting words, I've been thinking a lot about the word isolation recently. And, you know, right now, isolation can make, a fo- make folks feel lonely, can make you feel bored, make you feel a little bit of that cabin fever. You can also use isolation in a good way. And you can isolate each of your tasks right now. Break them down, put them into a compartment, and conquer each thing. If you've got schoolwork to get done, break it down, chunk out hours in your day. Start isolating these things and getting things accomplished. No more sitting around. We don't know when normal's coming back, folks. We've, we've all talked about this a ton. We've all heard it on the news, heard it everywhere, and we've read about it. And we don't know when normal's going to be back. So guess what? We have to create. We have to accomplish and we have to get better every day work out stay in shape because i can guarantee you when this is all said and done there's going to be a very quick recruiting run there's going to be a very quick bit of movement in this junior hockey world in the college hockey world to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff they're going to be able to understand who put in the work and who didn't don't be the guy sucking air on day one be ready every single day win every single day and be ready to ring that bell when dan k is on the mic it's always hockey night what an incredible show dan bradley we thank you for coming out with us the voice of the mullet guy does it all if you've not checked out the minnesota mullets organization do it right now if you've not bought some mullets gear do it right now it is the best logo in the biz lucas jones dan k dan bradley the Dan K Show presents Junior Hockey, episode three is in the books.